Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we open God's Word and continue in our series in the letter of 2 Peter. This is a letter written at the end of Peter's life, somewhere around 67 AD, and he's writing to first century Christians, and the title of the series is Growing in the Knowledge of God, Growing in the Knowledge of God. That's the theme of this letter because false teachers had gotten into the church all over the first century world and were beginning to preach a gospel that wasn't a gospel and grace that wasn't grace and lifestyles that were licentious, sensual, filled with just self-pleasure and self-gratification and and self. And so Peter, wanting to preserve the knowledge of God, writes this second letter, and he's encouraging us in the knowledge of God. And Peter writes this letter from a foundation of remembering his own faith, the knowledge of God, the faith that God has given us, and how his own faith faltered 34 years earlier in 33 AD, where he infamously denied his Lord three times. That marked Peter. That marked Peter. And so what Peter wants to do, he wants to talk about a faith that though at times it is faltering, and you may be here this morning and your faith may be a little faltering, it will never fail. It will never fail. And Peter wants to describe this faith, and the way he describes it, at least in my interpretation, is as a faith that sweats. Yeah, that's the title of the message. Real faith sweats. What do I mean by that? Real faith is a gift from God, but then it does work. And Peter describes for us how real faith works. And he does it from a place of knowing what it was like when his faith seemingly wasn't working, when it was faltering, when Peter got to the place where he had denied his Savior but he remembered his Savior's prayer. We read it last week. It's on the screen this week. Luke 22, 31 to 34. This is on the night that Peter would deny his Lord, the night that Jesus would be betrayed prior to his crucifixion. Jesus said this to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Jesus, who prayed that prayer in the first century for Peter, continues to pray that prayer for all of us in the 21st century, that though our faith may falter, and you, like Peter, may deny your Lord. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. Listen, Jesus said this to Peter, knowing that in just a few hours, Jesus would go and intercede for Peter by dying for that sin on the cross, friend. And that same Jesus is praying for you right now interceding for you right now. Peter's writing this with that in his heart 34 years later. I pray you would receive it. Jesus goes on to say, your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's what Peter's doing 34 years later. He's strengthening the brothers of the first century. He's strengthening brothers and sisters in the 21st century. Peter said to him, of course, we know the famous words, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus looks at him and says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Oh, but Jesus prayed for his faith. Though it faltered, it would not fail. This faith that Jesus gave Peter, this faith that saves, this faith that, yes, sweats, 
is the faith that sustains. And Peter wants to share that faith with us this morning. Here's the question for you. Has your faith faltered? Where are you on the faith spectrum this morning? And have you considered, how does my faith work? Whoa, 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 wait a second now. I thought we're saved by faith and not by works. Oh, that is true. You are saved by faith and not by works. But the faith that saves you does work. Real faith sweats, as we all are aware of in Miami in July. We sweat. Unless you sit in your air-conditioned house and do nothing. That's not real faith. Real faith's out there sweating. It relies on God. We are saved by grace alone, through the faith that God gives us in Christ alone, through that word that gives us the knowledge of that faith alone, for God's glory alone. But that faith does not remain alone. It works. How does your faith work? Do you know? I, uh, I, I think that we need a lot of education on how our faith works. I think that what Peter is saying to us today is, I want to show you how your faith works. Because Christ is interceding for us. So let's read. How does our faith work? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Real faith sweats. 2 Peter 1, 3 to 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort... That's spiritual perspiration right there. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. Oh my, you're reading that, man. This looks like one of those workout videos that I will never, ever watch again. You're tired just reading all that. But hang in there. Hang in there. Verse 8. For if these Qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They keep your faith from being ineffective or unfruitful. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. That's another spiritual perspiration phrase. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was training to be an officer in the army, part of that training was learning how to repel. Repelling is simply descending from a cliff face or from a building in a rapid fashion, using a rope. You're tied in with a harness. And the guy who taught us was an officer from Vermont, from the mountains of Vermont. So here I am at the University of Florida, a kid from Miami, where the largest mountain we have is Mount Trashmore, right in our neighborhood. 
being taught by this northeastern guy who grew up walking around the mountains as comfortable in the mountains as the smidgens are, if you go and look at all their pictures from their vacation, dangling off cliffs. And, and part of the training was learning how to repel. And, and, and repelling is very simple. If you're standing on the, the face of a cliff, or we were learning urban warfare, so on a three, four, five, six-story building, and you want to get down quickly, you turn around so that you are, your back is to the descent, and you kind of get into an L position so your feet are straight out. You're hanging over thin air, and you're upright, and you have this rope, and you have a harness, and you trust the rope, and you just throw yourself out, and you bound out, and you bound down the building. Actually, that one is pretty rough. But the one that was even rougher was a combat repel, where we did some ranger training, and in ranger training, rough, right, we did the Australian repel. What's the Australian repel? This is down. I lean out. I got the rope here, and I lean all the way out to where I'm, I'm parallel to the ground. And now Raf, Raphael would do this. He was an airborne ranger. He would have a machine gun in his left hand, the rope in his right, and then you run down the side of the cliff or the, the building, and Raphael would tell you you have to be very aggressive because if you don't run and keep really lean into it, your feet go out from under you, and you're just dangling there in the middle of the you know, exercise with all your friends laughing at you at the bottom because you didn't have the guts to run really hard. And and that's a picture of faith. We've got the rope. It is a gift from God. He ties us in by his grace, but we've got to, we got to practice it. We got to know the knots. We got to, we got to trust God. We got to throw ourselves off that building and believe it's going to hold us. That's what this, that's what this is about. This, this text is about That process, faith, real faith, sweats. It's God who provides it. It's God who sustains it. But then he calls us to work it. Point one. God provides the faith that saves. It has to begin with God. Look at verse three with me again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That knowledge is saving knowledge. So God, by his divine power, has called us to himself through the knowledge of the gospel, and God has given us life. It is God's work. It is a gift from God. But this knowledge is so precious. This is the knowledge that Peter wants to preserve. He uses the word knowledge several times in our uh, verses here and throughout the book. And this knowledge is so precious. It's the knowledge of God's promises. Look at verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. This knowledge of the gospel is something so precious that Peter wants to preserve it. This is our faith. A modern day Peter, though not an apostle, but an older man about to go on to be with the Lord by the name of J.I. Packer, who by the way is a renowned theologian. He just turned 90 last week. Wrote the following about this knowledge of God, this faith that God provides us. On the screen. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? And now he quotes here. Knowledge of God. And he quotes here John 17, 3. This is life eternal that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
What is the best thing in life bringing more joy and delight and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Packer then quotes Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither neither let the mighty man glory in his might, nor the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows me. Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Is the main business of your life to know God? Is this knowledge at the center of who you are? We are wanting to lead the church and one another to grow in this knowledge of our salvation. As Peter is saying here, the ladies just had a women of the word brunch yesterday. It was fantastic. I had the opportunity to read many of the teachings as they kind of passed it by the pastors to make sure that what they were teaching uh, was, was in line with the word. It was great stuff. I understand there was some great fellowship. And as we re-engage with our community groups in August, on the second week of each month, the ladies are going to gather around this theme of the word, how to learn God's word, how to study God's word, how to, how to share God's word. And guys, similarly, we have been studying what God's word has to say to us about being men, biblical manhood. And in August, when we re-engage the men's groups, the fourth week of each month, we're going to be studying how do we study the word. We're going to encourage one another to be in God's word because this word is the knowledge, is the faith that God has delivered to us that we might know. Hey, we have a promise. God has promised us to share in Christ's very nature that we're going to be conformed to the image of God in Christ and that we're going to share Christ's glory. That knowledge comes from God's word. And we're going to study that word. Because God has called us to that word. He's called us according to verse 3b, according to his glories and his excellence. What that means is that God, through his word, reveals the glory and the excellence, the moral excellence of Christ. And if you're saved here this morning, then what God has done is he's opened your eyes so you see that moral excellence. And it is so amazing that you can do nothing but believe. It's called an effectual calling. That's what he's talking about here. God has called you. And he's shown you the beauty of Christ in the word of God. And you say, yes, I believe he's given you the faith to believe. He's given life to your dead souls. And then he's promised us to share the glory of Christ and to be like Jesus. Is that promise precious to you? This is where we're going in the next couple of months as we study God's word. Are these gospel promises precious to you? Does it strike you as a great promise that one day you will be like Christ and you will share in his glory forever and ever? Is the main business of your life to know God? And are you being conformed into the image of Christ? Is your faith working? And if you would say, I want it to, Al, but I'm kind of like the guy that's on the edge of the, the, the building, repelling, and he's fallen so many times. He hasn't died because there's someone down there on a safety to hold him, but he's just made a ridiculousness of his own life. He's just like dangling up there. Everybody's laughing at him. Everybody else is running down the building, repelling down, firing machine guns, you know, doing all that. And this guy, you take one step and your foot slips and you go down. And that's, that's your faith right now. 
You're saying, Al, it's not the center. Be honest with you, what really thrills me is a good football game, a good basketball game, or lots of money in my bank account, or or that new house we just bought, or the new car we have, or the promotion we're going to get, or or getting accepted into a certain school, or, or that relationship, or that pleasure. I would say to you that perhaps your problem isn't that you are missing the presence of saving faith, Here's what you're missing. The practice of saving faith. You get that? The rope is there. You're on the side of the the, the building. You're on the side of the cliff. The rope's there. But you have no idea how to use that rope. You have not practiced the use of that rope. You don't know how to tie the knots, a square knot, a half hitch. You don't know how to do those things. And so you're just sitting here. The faith is there. The presence of saving faith is in your life, but you don't look much like Jesus. And there's not much joy, and there's not much knowledge of the Lord. And you're not very involved in church, and you're just sort of like floating around somewhere. But what's missing is the practice. Faith sweats. How are you going to learn to use the rope if I never sweat it and try it and do it? (laughs) I mean, how are you going to get that physique? How are you going to lose those pounds if you don't turn the video on instead of just watching? Wouldn't it be funny if you just watched the video? There's P90X. Isn't Tony Horton? Tony Horton is really fit. Wow, that is so cool. That's like coming to church every Sunday. That's so cool. But you never do it. And then you say, ah, this Christian thing doesn't work. Oh, yeah, it does. But real faith sweats. I had a teacher, and, uh, I had a teacher in uh, high school, my Spanish teacher, Mrs. Klein. Yeah, North Miami Senior High, 1973. Whew, that was a long time ago. And the typical Cuban kid that I was, I understood Spanish, but I was so lazy, I never spoke it, and my Spanish was horrible. My relatives would come from Cuba and they'd say, What's wrong with you? You're Cuban. Tú eres guano arrepentido. Why don't you speak Spanish? And I remember Miss Klein got in my face. She was, she was a Jewish woman from like New York, but she spoke great. She goes, Pino, what you need is academic perspiration. You know about that, right, gal? And buddy, she worked us. At the end of that class, we were exhausted, like coming out of a P90X. You know, you couldn't even walk. And in fact, that summer, my parents sent me to Spain. And, and I studied the whole summer of 73 in El Escorial, just north of Madrid, with some monks that delighted in... <laughs> Abusing us, not in that way, but uh, <laughs> intellectually. I'm going to have to take that out of the sermon thing right there. Sorry, guys. Okay. Corey, you've been gone too long, buddy. All kinds of things are happening here. <clears throat> but what happened that summer? I did some academic perspiration. You know what? When I came back in 74, I, I could speak Spanish. And then some of you have watched me perspire even more as I got here and started preaching in, in Cuba. And I'll do it again next week in Nicaragua. But you've got to work it. Faith works. Faith works, point two. We practice faith that sweats. We practice faith that sweats. All right. This second point is, is going to be about those seven qualities that are listed in verses 5 to 9. And I know what you're thinking. You look at those seven qualities, and it's like looking at a Tony Horton you know, video. He's doing 15 pull-ups with one arm, you know, and you're like, never. That, that, that's, I, that will never be me. I get it. But let me, let me challenge you here. 
Maybe one of these seven. You want to know how faith works? Here's how it works. Maybe God's going to say to you, focus on this one. Don't let all seven wash over you and say, ah, you know, let's go out to lunch. But, but God's going to speak to you one. And that one is going to make all the difference in the world. It will energize your faith. Your faith will suddenly become effective and fruitful. That's what you've been missing. And, and these qualities are, are fueled by the same grace and faith that saved us. It's all of God But here in this point, he calls us to work it out. God provides it. We work it out. I want you to look at the phrase in verse 5. For this very reason. You see it there? That connects verses 5 to 11 with verses 3 and 4. What Peter is saying is this. That God has given you a godly life. God has, by his divine power, he's given you everything you need for, for, for life and godliness. Now walk it out. We are saved by faith alone, but this faith does not remain alone. That is what that phrase means. I love how David Helm puts it in his commentary. It's a mistake to think that salvation by faith alone means that one's faith never needs to work. So I think that's where we miss it, guys. Oh, it's legalism. That's moralism. No, it's not. It's the Bible. I don't trust in my works. I trust in Christ's works. But then Christ says, I've given you godliness. Walk it out by my grace. That's what Helm is saying here. The kind of faith that takes fallen and frail men and women home to heaven is one that operates by way of addition. Did I miss the whole point? Yeah, true faith sweats. All right, so, so pick one. You ready? This is, how, this is what a faith work, workout looks like. You got your weights out? Got your shoes on? All right, you got your, your music that gets you going? All right, and you're going to jog in place or do push-ups or pull-ups? So we begin in verse 5 with the phrase, make every effort. You see that? Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. That is a workout phrase. That is a spiritual, mental, intellectual perspiration phrase. Supplement your faith, which of course is the beginning of all of this. God is sovereign in his salvation. He gives us the faith. Supplement your faith with virtue. Now that word virtue comes from the Greek word arete. And that word is the same word that is translated excellence at the end of verse 3, where it says that he's given us all that we need by his glory and excellence. That word excellence is the Greek word arete. And this word virtue here in verse 5 is the same Greek word. And so really they're synonymous. What he's saying is this. I've given you my moral excellence. You've seen it. It's a gift from God. Now that you've seen my moral excellence, now walk in the moral excellence and the godliness that is yours. We've said it this way, right? We're becoming who we are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ if you're a Christian. I know you don't feel it sometimes. Maybe not most of the time. But you are. And the Christian life is becoming who you are. See what I'm saying? It's working it out. It's getting those biceps. It's getting those spiritual muscles going. By grace. By grace. Now what do we add to our virtue? You add to your virtue, knowledge. You add to your virtue, knowledge. Do you see that? Verse 6, at the end of verse 5, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge. And this might be a place that some of you are saying, you know what, I'm going to mark that one, Al. I'm going to mark that second one. That's the one I'm really going to focus on. 
Because this eternal life, this knowledge that we have, this faith that we have is a gift from God. But as J.I. Packer quoted in John 17, 3, this eternal life is that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Spent, sent. Maybe for some of you, your faith isn't effective, it's not fruitful, because you haven't worked out that muscle of learning. You need to do some academic perspiration. Ladies, you heard about that yesterday, right? I think one of the, the talks was the five P's of, of Bible study, and you're looking like, whoa, five, wait a second, man, that's way too much. No, no, God's calling you to some academic perspiration and then some spiritual perspiration. Guys, let's come together. Let's learn how to study God's word. God gives us the faith. Let's, what is grace? What is salvation? Who is Jesus? How do I work it out in my job? How do I work it out at home? How do I work it out, you know, on the front lines of where I live my life? It's going to take some academic perspiration, some spiritual perspiration. By the way, that word knowledge there is gnosis, which is a thematic word throughout this book. Do you know God's grace? Do you know God's will? In verse 6, we supplement our knowledge with self-control. Now, I'm really going to slow down on this one because we live in a city that is not known for self-control. We're known for many things. We will put on the greatest parties. We will laugh a lot. Most of us can dance. We're known for a lot of things, but we are not known for self-control. What are we known for in this city? Excess, licentiousness, living for pleasure, saying whatever we want to say, doing whatever we want to do, and that's just the way it is down here. But God is saying, I give you self-control by the very spirit that gives you life. Do you know that self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? So the one who gives you your identity as a Christian, the spirit of God, applying the work of God and the character of God to your life, what marks him is self-control. So I want to encourage you. This might be the one that God's calling you to work on. Say, Lord, help me in this one. Help me to be able to have the power, this grace-based power by the Holy Spirit to say no to sensuality, no to sinful desires and pleasures of the flesh. Isn't this the one that takes us out of the game? Isn't this the one that when we, we fail here, guilt and shame follow us like the two little dogs in my neighborhood that yap at my heels when I'm trying to walk around my neighborhood? And guilt and shame just follow you. And you know what they do? They take you out of the game. They put you on the sideline. They make you think, I can't serve God because I'm a hypocrite. If you only knew what I'm doing when no one's looking. But God promises to bring you through. His grace will. His power will. But we got to work it. We've got to work it. To our self-control... God calls us to add steadfastness. Do you see that? At the end of verse 6, to your self-control, add steadfastness. This is simply the ability to endure. And can I just say to you, church, I just want to encourage you in this. This church has suffered. And you know what? Good on you. You've learned how to endure. And there's a lot of benefit to that. Some of you have suffered more than others. You've suffered for different reasons. But, but, But good on you. In this area, your faith is more effective, isn't it? It's, it's more fruitful. So I want to commend you in that. Praise God. Where we might be weak in the self-control area, I think God's given a grace to this church. We've learned, I think, a little bit how to endure, haven't we? At least those of us that are still gathered together here. 
praise God. Let's honor God. For that. Let's be thankful to God for that. And then to our steadfastness, we add godliness, godliness. This is the same godliness that he spoke of in verse three. By his divine power, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So what Peter is saying is you have godliness as a gift from God. You didn't do anything to earn it. It is the godliness. It's the righteousness of Christ. Now go walk in it. Add to your steadfastness godliness. That's what he's saying here. We have the life of God by God's grace. We didn't earn it. But now let's live in the life of God. He's given us this godliness. Let us now live in that. It brings praise to God. And in verse 7 We supplement our godliness with brotherly affection. You know the Greek word there, don't you? Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Didn't they they throw snowballs at Santa Claus? Yes, they did. Um, But but brotherly affection. So so for some of you, and listen, this is a word from the Lord for some of you. You know what you need to add? You know what's keeping your faith from being as effective and as fruitful as it can be? Is you just need to grow in brotherly love. You know what that is? That's a familial affection. That's looking forward to getting together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and making it a priority in your calendar. That's all that is. You'd be surprised. You add that little touch to your faith. You watch your faith soar. You watch your godliness soar. You watch your life soar. You watch things change you thought would never change. Brotherly affection. And finally, the seventh one is love. Love. To your brotherly affection, add love. So it begins with faith. God is sovereign in giving us the faith. And it ends with love. Because you see, love is the end all of all the law. It's the, it's the end all of all the virtues. Jesus said, you want to sum up the law? Here it is. And the prophets. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that the end of our instruction, the goal of our instruction is love. It is the most it is the more excellent way. For some of you, just study 1 Corinthians 13. Say, Lord, I want to grow in love. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, studying, I'm studying love. I'm studying it in Colossians 3. Because I'm not a very loving guy in the flesh, in the Alpino of the flesh. I am not a very compassionate, kind, patient, humble, or meek man. And Colossians 3, 12 to 14 tells me that's who I am in Christ. And so I'm saying, God, I want to be loving. I want to be patient. I want to learn. Love is patient. Love is kind. I I try to marry up. Listen, this is where it gets exciting. I marry up 1 Corinthians 13, what love looks like, to Colossians 3, 12 to 14. And this spiritual path helps me see how that works out here and how this is going to help my faith to be strong. And that's kind of like the person who's not only working out, but he's drinking supplements. He has a, a supplement before he works out. He has the shake after he works out and it helps our muscles to grow and be strong and if that's important in the physical which it is but it's nearly it's not nearly as important as in the spiritual that's where we encourage one another we battle sin together and and this is all increasing so that our faith is effective in verses eight and nine basically tell us if we don't have these qualities if we're not working our faith then we are like a blind man squinting isn't that ridiculous a blind man squinting what are we not being able to see anymore jesus forgave me of all my sins i forgot that without these qualities i forget that i become a self-righteous or a licentious 
Overly moralistic is one extreme. Totally licentious anything goes is the other extreme. They're, they're opposite but equally wrong. And they, these qualities keep me right in the middle of the road. And here's point three. This faith that God gives me, this faith that sweats, is also the faith that sustains me. God promises to sustain us. Guys, look at verse 10. You got another spiritual perspiration phrase. Therefore, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent. That's basically workout. Workout. Do the workout. It's the same, it's the same root word as he used in verse 5 when he said, make every effort. It's the same root word, be all the more diligent. Listen, because God has called us and elected us by his sovereign grace means that we are all the more diligent in these things, not less. It doesn't mean I sit back on the couch if I've been given this incredible ability, but it means I go out and I work that ability by the grace of God because he's called me. He's called me. Verse 10, what in the world does it mean there that we are to be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election? Well, calling and election do differ. Election is God choosing you before the foundation of the world, before time. God elected you. Calling is when God effectually gives you that knowledge of Jesus. You see his moral excellence. You see his beauty. And he gives life to your dead heart. And then you have faith in Christ. Effectual calling. Election before the foundation of the world. Because those are true, we are all the more diligent to confirm them, to live as God has given us the life to live. Objective behavior confirms subjective assurance of salvation and you know what i love is he ends with god's generosity look at verse 11 for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ oh friends god is not stingy as god's elect he has richly provided for you entrance into his kingdom that doesn't mean you don't work less It means you work according to his grace out of gratitude, not to earn your salvation, but because he has given you your salvation. God's generous. He's not stingy. So where are you? Where are you on this cliff? Where where, where are you on this building? Uh, My training occurred primarily in the rock quarries of Ocala, Florida. I mean, it is Florida, but in the north of Florida, there are a few little hills, okay? And rock quarries. And a lot of my training took place on multi-story buildings around campus. And we would do exercises rappelling down those buildings. So where are you in that building? Where are you in that rock quarry? Are you perched on the edge right here looking down and saying, you know, Al, my faith has faltered so many times. I have blown it trying to do the Australian rappel. I I, I have found myself dangling in the midst of the air, held by the rope, and I'm just so embarrassed that I just want to take off my harness and just go sit down and say I quit. I mean, I'm going to get to heaven one day, but this stuff, it it doesn't work. I can't overcome that sin. I, I, I can't really, I can't change. God himself is speaking to you through this word, and Peter is standing right next to him. And imagine they're on the ground and they're, 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 they're shouting up at you. You're on that building. You're on that cliff. And they're saying, don't quit. My faith is sufficient. My divine power has given you all you need for life and godliness. I have forgiven you your sins. 
work the rope. Trust the rope. Trust me. And I will teach you how to maintain your grip on that rope by my grace and learn how to use that rope so that you can expertly bound down that building. As a matter of fact, toward the end of our training, we we were taught how to bring a a wounded soldier down off of a cliff face. And the way we did it is we brought him down off of a multi-story building. And so there would be one guy that would be belaying up at the top and he would tie the rope to the end of the stretcher. You'd have the guy, the volunteer, strapped into the stretcher. And the, the part of the stretcher that would be pointing to the ground would be held in our right, my right hand. I'd be holding myself with my left hand here. And then we would come out and we would, we would come down to bring that injured person down. I remember one time I, I wasn't skilled in it and I lost my grip. Now there's people down below that are providing safety. And here I am dangling the guy on the stretcher screaming, what's wrong with you, Pino? And I said, okay, I blew it. You know, and sometimes we're like that, aren't we, in our Christianity? You, know, you blow it. People are dangling off the rope in the church and they're going, what is wrong with you? I take a deep breath, went back up, learned how to do it again. So I learned how we could get that wounded person off in a simulated combat situation. But we got to keep working it. And God is the one who provides it. Verse 11 says that he has provided, richly provided, the entrance into his kingdom. And so here God saying to you, here Peter saying to you, listen, Peter is part of that, that witness, that cloud of witness that are up there in heaven right now saying, yeah, keep going. My faith faltered in 33 AD, but it never failed. It flourished. And in 67 AD, I'm strengthening you through these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Be strengthened. Be inspired. And if you don't have that faith, oh, I pray God would give it to you today. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Worship team, would you please join me in the front? Lord, I pray that you would give grace to my friends right now. Lord, I pray that if there are those that are just seated at the top of the cliff or at the top of the building and their desire would be to be able to bound down that building and enjoy the Christian walk and to be fruitful and effectual and they see others doing it, laughing and shouting as they go with the wind blowing through their hair as they're coming down that that building safely but they're just sitting up top, pouting. Sitting up top, feeling defeated. Sitting up top saying, faith doesn't work. Those ropes won't hold me. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them right now by your grace. That you died for your elect. And that your death is effective and effectual. And you will conform us into the image of Christ. Your grace is amazing. Lord, you you are able but you call us to cooperate, to work it. So Lord, give us the grace to work that. Give hope to those who've lost hope. Lord, may we be a church that disciples one another, that loves your word, that are in each other's lives in, in a good way, saying, come on, you can do it. Let me show you how to tie that knot. Let me show you about that verse that speaks of victory. Let me show you about that verse that speaks of who Christ is. He's fully God and fully man. Let me help you buckle into the line correctly let me let me help you walk through this this temptation to sin in a certain area i'm there for you buddy i'm there for you and together we would bound down the the cliffs of life by faith in christ alone for your glory alone in your word alone by grace alone and that we would be your people lord your witnesses in this place in jesus name
Amen.